This is ReachMD, and you're listening to Conversations on Colorectal Cancer, sponsored by Lilly. In recent years, researchers have been investigating the role of tumor sidedness in metastatic colorectal cancer, and for good reason. Previous studies have shown that tumor sidedness impacts patient outcomes and can help direct treatment choices, which is why, fast forwarding back to today, we're going to take a look at what the latest research is saying and how it's being applied to practice. Welcome to Conversations on Colorectal Cancer and ReachMD. I'm Dr. John Russell, and joining me is Dr. Axel Grothy, Director of Gastrointestinal Cancer Research at the West Cancer Center and Research Institute in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. Grothy, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. To start us off with some background, Dr. Grothy, can you refresh us on the relevance and prognostic impacts of tumor sidedness in metastatic colorectal cancer? So this tumor sidedness story is actually an embarrassing story for someone who is working in the field of GI oncology, in particular colorectal cancer, for a long time. I remember in 2014, I looked at a poster for where, for the first time, a big difference in prognosis and actually as a predictive marker between left and right-sided colon cancers emerged in the context of a treatment uh, uh, selection between bevacizumab and cetuximab as biological agents in first-line therapy. So sidedness, the prognostic implication of sidedness had been there for a long time, but I think we all ignored it because there was no real treatment implication, no real predictive value for uh, using this marker in our clinical practice. Now, the sidedness question with regard to prognosis is, is an actually an old story. We know that right-sided tumors do more poorly than left-sided tumors. And the, when you look at, um, you know, independent of the treatment approach, there's about a six-month difference in outcome between right and left-sided tumors in terms of overall survival. And we initially thought this might be related to lead time bias. Right-sided tumors might be diagnosed at a later time point because um, the um, symptom of constipation and blood correction might not be as apparent as more just in more distal cancers like sigmoid cancers and uh, upper rectal cancers. So we thought it was a symptom-based uh, uh, issue, but recently we recognized, you know, that sidedness really comes with biologic features that we are still trying to understand a bit and with differences in sensitivity to each of the antibody therapies, cetuximab and panitumab, we know that right-sided tumors do not respond to each of the antibody therapy. And we have clear data in the first-line therapy study that those agents should not be used in combination with chemotherapy in right-sided tumors. It's becoming more widely known that the gene expression profiles for left-sided colorectal cancer are different than right-sided and that this changes their respective clinical profiles. Can you talk about the evidence supporting this, and what do we know to this point? So we do know that the gene expression profile between left and right-sided tumors are different with regard to commonly tested mutations, for instance, BRAS mutation, MSI status, and KRAS and NRAS mutation. For instance, right-sided tumors are more likely to have a BRAS-D600D mutation, which we know is associated with poor prognosis. Right-sided tumors also carry the mismatch-repair uh, deficient phenotype, the MSI high phenotype, more commonly, meaning they are more likely uh, responding to immunotherapy. Then there, uh, it's kind of a, it's a smattering of different factors like HER2 overexpression, more likely left-sided cancers, KRAS mutations, more, more likely uh, to be found in left-sided cancers. When we put this on a gene expression level, the consensus molecular subtype, CMS classification, seen as 1, 2, 3, 4, that was recently agreed upon by an international consortium really finds differences 
in the uh, prevalence of these molecular subtypes by gene expression profile based on left and right sidedness. So we have known now that there is an, not a perfect distinction between molecular profile of right and left sidedness, but there is clearly a higher prevalence of certain alterations between these different locations. So is the data behind left versus right-sided tumor profiles pointing universally in one direction, or are there any non-overlapping or conflicting findings to date that are being worked through? Now, all these profiles that we see, whether it's the gene expression profile, mutation status, is not perfectly able to identify left and right-sided tumor. So there is overlap to various degrees between various uh, markers. And again, it's very... Um, unlikely to find ear application in distal left-sided colon cancers, more likely to find them in right-sided tumors, but we do find them. We do find left-sided tumors with ear application. So it's not a perfect distinction between, you know, sidedness and molecular marker. So does this latest evidence support or draw away from clinical rationales to use primary tumor locations as a foundation for treatment decisions in this cancer type? So the main treatment decision regarding, uh, uh, you know, treatment location, sightedness location of the primary tumor and treatment really relates to the use of EGF-selected antibody therapy in the metastatic colorectal cancer state. We've learned that even if we have a RAF and BRAF wild-type tumor that should normally respond or have a chance to respond to EGF-selected antibody therapy, if this cancer is located in the right colon, um, then this uh, we do not see it benefit in randomized trials based on time-related endpoints like progression-free survival and overall survival. And there might even be a detrimental effect, potential detrimental effect, when we use EGF-selected antibody in right-sided tumors in a first-line setting. Although this, is, you know, what I just said, has not been validated in, in various clinical studies. Now, the definition of sightedness, just to put that in here, is uh, varies a little bit between the European perspective, ESMO guidelines, and the American perspective, the NCCN guidelines. European guidelines look at left-sided tumors, anything distal from the splenic vector, and right-sided tumors will include the transverse colon, where NCCN guidelines separate out the transverse colon and say, you know, we don't know whether the transverse colon belongs to right or left-sided tumors. So it's up to the investigator and up to the provider to make a decision here. But clearly, the cited discretion in the context of therapy has um, really been linked to the EGF-selected antibody treatment approach. Now, as a little side note, we, I mentioned that right-sided tumors have a poor outcome compared to left-sided tumors. There are some data that the poor prognosis of right-sided colon cancers, independent of the molecular profile, can be offset by more aggressive Chemotherapies uh, like a triplet chemotherapy consisting of phytotoxoplasma and arenotecan. There are some data that a false fox series of triplet chemotherapy treatment plus bevacizumab as antivirus therapy has survival benefit in right sided tumors but not in left sided tumors when compared with um, standard chemotherapy doublet. So, Dr. Grothy, from your vantage point, what gaps in the research still need to be addressed to help us better understand tumor sidedness and its impact on treatment decisions and patient outcomes? So the frustrating part is in the area of research is that in spite of our comprehensive molecular profiling approaches and, uh, and, and gene expression profiling, we still don't understand why right-sided tumors do not behave in, as, as you know, well with EGF-selected antibodies and overall in their prognosis compared to left-sided tumors. And I believe we're 
probably missing one piece of the puzzle here, you know, the third party that's involved in, in tumor biology, which is the um, microbiome, which we know is different between right and left sided colons. And so and we have recently seen more and more evidence that the microbiome really affects the activity of uh, our treatment approaches and the actual biology of uh, cancer, and not just kind of when, not just the formation of cancer, but also how aggressive cancers are and how they respond to therapies. Um, and this is could be one of the differences between right and estimated tumor. So I would hope that we'll see more research pour into the interaction between the microbiome, uh, left and right-sided microbiome, and, um, and the tumor biology in our treatment interventions in the future. So, Doctor, you talked about a lot of research. What would you say are the next steps in applying this research into clinical practice? So, first of all, we need to just, uh, when we talk about tumor-sidedness, make people aware that they need to record the sidedness of their cancer and that they're aware whether it's a right or left-sided tumor, put this into their clinical notes. Um, then we still need to perform molecular profiling because sidedness might help us guide to treatment decisions in first line between each of certain antibodies and interventional therapy as biologics added to chemotherapy, but it doesn't allow us really to make more uh, the granular treatment decisions based on the DRAF status, MSI status, etc. So sidedness alone would not help us really decide what we need to do in clinical practice. It's a quick and dirty tool, more or less, which might help us guide some first-line treatment decisions. But overall, we really need to be more granular in our treatment decisions based on molecular profiling. So acknowledging sightedness, and then really, as I said earlier, really opening the door for more research directed at the tumor microbiome um, that can help us really understand what's going on here in the excitedness uh, question. And lastly, Dr. Grothy, do you expect guidelines such as those from the NCCN will keep up with these best practices emerging from the latest research, or there will, will there be any time lags that clinicians should expect? Yeah, so NCC guidelines have traditionally been very eager to adopt uh, you know, treatment opportunities and treatment options for patients. So NCCN guidelines, and I was a former member of the NCCN, I'm a former member of the NCCN guidelines committee panel. Um, they are normally quite rapid in the adoption of, you know, uh, the link between molecular alterations and treatment decisions, um, and that is helpful and helps us definitely to be able to translate research findings into clinical practice much more rapidly. For instance, in, in Europe, where health regulatory agencies and insurance companies insurance system really wait for results of mature randomized clinical trials in a lot of cases uh, to reimburse and approve um, certain interventions. So I'm actually quite, you know, hopeful and optimistic that we'll continue to see the trend that NCCN guidelines adopt these findings quite rapidly and without major time lag for our patients. It was great speaking with you today, Dr. Grothy, and I hope to have you on once new research has emerged. Thank you so much. The preceding program was sponsored by Lilly. Content for this series is produced and controlled by ReachMD. This series is intended for healthcare professionals only. To revisit any part of this discussion and to access other episodes in this series, visit ReachMD.com MCRC. Thank you for listening. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.